0: Welcome to the Talent Rebel cast. My name is Elin Bailey and along with me is my co-host, Tracy Parsons. Tracy and I have been getting together for what seems like forever now to, well, should chat about talent. One day after a few too many cocktails, we thought, what the heck, let's press record. And that's how we got here. We hope you'll listen in and find this a little bit fun, interesting, and just the teeniest bit inspiring. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Tracy. How are you today? I'm amazing. How are you? I am great. I am super excited because today in this episode of Chapped with Smart People, Mm. I have one of my absolute favorite people in the whole world joining us. This Kobe Schneider. Welcome,
1: Kobe. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Tracy. I'm a total fangirl for your podcast, by the way. So I've been so excited.
0: Well, it's completely completely mutual because I'm a for all the stuff you're doing. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and then let's get down and dirty and start talking about well just the the bull of
1: talent at the moment. So sure. Yeah, I'm with a big multinational technology company and I spent about 12 years doing sales and marketing stuff as people manager, program manager and then found my way into Talent acquisition, where I met you, Alin, about 12 years into that career. And I spent about 12 years in TA. And, uh, you know, it's kind I of interesting. Were, I
0: thought you were going to say 12 years ago. And I'm like, was it 12 years ago? <laughs> oh my God. A long time ago. Right. Not quite. Long ago. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's interesting, you know, when I talk to TA professionals, they they have all this passion about why they got into recruiting and and TA and it's all about helping people find, you know, their true north and what they want to do. And I would love to say that I had that same altruistic motivation. I didn't. My <laughs> my passion around TA as awful as it sounds was really more about the business operations side of it. I got really energized by seeing how when you look at the list of recs that are open, how it represents or doesn't represent the business strategy and working with managers to shift their focus when the technology needed to change and you needed to hire a different kind of person. That that part of it really motivated me. But um, in that 12 years, I did a lot of different things. I've managed recruiters. I've managed recruitment marketers. I've managed diversity strategies. Um, And in the last year, I actually moved out of HR altogether, and I'm sitting within a business group. We have just under about 12,000 people globally. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I'm responsible for is future of the workplace. So I represent the business group and what we need to run the business in our corporate team who's defining the strategy. And I take that strategy back to our team, and we implement it and customize it for what we need. I need to back up 5 seconds because maybe maybe
2: 25 seconds you said something to me that was so compelling that I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about it is that you loved looking at the wrecks to see if they aligned with the business strategy or didn't. so or didn't right and <laughs> key point I, I just legitimately never thought of that as a thing that people do and I've been doing this forever right Tell me some of the like mistakes that you saw, or some of the big aha moments you had. Like, would you see that it was business units were like looking at the now
1: and not the net next? I, you know, for a big company like mine, I think that the challenge is when you get your name and you're known for something, and you're really really good at it, and you become visible in the marketplace for that kind of work. As you evolve, the work changes but and you have to evolve the way you're attracting talent you have to evolve you know what you're looking for and as you both know depending on who you're talking to you appeal to different things so talking to somebody who is very software engineer oriented is very different their motivations are different the way they work is different than somebody who comes from a hardware manufacturing environment so working with our key partners and stakeholders to really understand how they need to flex. And, and some are very good at flexing, and it's hard for others when they're really steeped in a tradition and the world around them has changed. It's interesting.
0: I think it, it reflects this kind of challenge that we often have with managers and, and people in and organizations that when they have openings or rules that they're looking to hire for, it's easy to try and replicate what you had And then just you're going to add a few new capabilities onto that person, right? Rather than completely look at what does my business need and how am I going to go and hire for that person? I think that's interesting and kind of going in and trying to help people do that. Do you take that same work now in working with the business and and, uh, is it different from the business side having that conversation?
1: No, I would say it, it really isn't highly different. You know, same sort of challenges, I think, from the business perspective, you both know when you sit in HR, there's compliance wrapped around everything. And and that, of course, has value. It's important. It's not at all interesting to the business. It's not really all that interesting to me either, which is why we have professionals who look (laughs) at that kind of stuff and, you know, save us from doing what we shouldn't do. But when you get into the business side of things, the compliance side of the house that we have good professionals who are focused on is less obvious. And and you get to go a little bit deeper into the business problems and challenges. And you get more exposure to what's really happening with customers, with roadmaps, with what the perception is from the hiring manager um, who's dealing with 10 other things that aren't necessarily visible when you're sitting in HR and partnering. To answer your question, I wouldn't say it's different. It's just that you see less of some of that broader context that you get in HR and you get more of the business context, if that makes sense.
2: Mhm. It does, but what I what I keep coming back to is this this idea of reactionary hiring. And when somebody leaves the organization, I've never seen and it's entirely possible it's just I haven't seen it. It might happen all the time. But I've never seen somebody reflect and go, "Oh, okay, well, that one's gone, right? What do we actually need that we could change about this? And I've been a hiring manager for a number of years and I never, ever do that. And quite frankly,
1: it's one of the things that's paralyzing me right now with growing our team. It's a great segue to future workplace too. It is. I think typically when... When a manager does stop and think about what do I need now versus what do I need in the future, there's a pivot that's happening. There's some other external force that is forcing that manager to think, okay, the world around me is changing. Now I actually need to think about not just solving my immediate need, but setting myself up for the future differently. Right. Because we've always been in this need a person, get a person.
2: Need a person, get a person, lost a person, get a person, need a person. Like it's this cycle that we constantly go through. And there's so much right now that we are asking people to absorb in the world. Like, and with lots of people exiting teams right now, and lots of people looking for their next opportunity, how do we even pause? Like, do you have any guidance on people to how do they smartly take a beat and say, okay, and how do they evaluate any tips for the humans? I don't have any tips. I was just wondering, you know, smart people, let's talk about smart talk. I'm <laughs> just
1: going to put you on the spot, Kobe, because that's the kind of a hole I am today. <laughs> um, I don't know that I have any good tips. I think it's always good, though, to get perspective that isn't as close to what you're doing. So, in my career, whether whatever team I've been on, there have always been those people sort of in the peripheral who I can go to for advice and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking of. What would you do, and almost always there's some bit of input that they might have that probably never crossed my my mind. You know a really simple tactical example today is i I have a rec open I'm looking to backfill somebody into my team. I had an informational interview with somebody who's currently an intern, not in my group in another group working on an IO psychology degree. We got to talking and what she brings in terms of her skills would be great but the rec I have is for an internal hire so technically by design she cannot apply to that rec so I talked to a couple people and we decided you know let's let's interview this person we'll go through the process if it turns out that this really is a great fit for this person we'll close the rec I have open up the correct rec to be able to hire her on and we'll do the right thing but you know these are the the little bureaucratic details and compliance obligations, you have to work through and challenge yourself to think beyond the rule and what's the right thing to do and then come back and figure out, okay, how does the rule support the right thing to do? And I think that's interesting because if I'm just absorbing what you're saying and and kind of
2: riffing off what you're advocating, it really is about just taking a beat. Like it, it is about taking a minute in evaluating your landscape. And I think one of the things that would be really useful if we as an industry, as a profession can start talking about how we evaluate for future of work, like, how do we how do we evaluate what our teams need based on where the world is going? Right. And that's such a nebulous and hard, hard, hard thing to, to do. Like, how do you, you know, how do you evaluate what you need when you don't know what you need
1: yeah, I mean, you really need a strategic workforce strategy, and most of us are too impatient for that. We we don't want to take the time for it. You know, I, I've run
0: across this um, uh, in in the business I'm working with as well, and I can tell you that my most I actually had a conversation today about this, where I realized that really the best approach, given where we were in the state of transition. And we didn't really know what tomorrow is going to look like. And when I say near term tomorrow, the next 18 months, um, was to purposefully relook at how we did our hiring, right? So maybe the people I need to bring into these roles to for immediate execution, just to keep the, the lights on in the building. I need to start thinking about this as more temporary solutions, right? Rather than, cause we're so kind of, I think in the, in the HR space and the talent space, particularly, we're set up on this idea that somebody comes in and they take a job or we have a job and that job is a forever job and they're going to take it and they're going to land in it. And then we're going to evolve our, you know, we'll evolve our organization around it. And I don't think that's honest. I don't think that's true. I think sometimes we're in positions that say, I don't know what I, what talent and how many people and how it's going to look in 18 months. But what I do know is right now I need these skills or these capabilities to be filled. And I'm going to look for somebody you can do that, and I'm going to be honest with them and tell them this is a six-month deal or a project-based deal. And as we evaluate and go forward, we can talk about whether or not you're the right fit for what we're looking for going into the next phase, and be okay with that.
1: I completely agree. I mean, we, we open up recs to support a specific job, and we need to stop thinking about it as I'm hiring for a career. No, we're hiring for that job. Jobs evolve. Right. You know, as a manager, my job is to develop my team, be open and transparent about opportunities, let them know when that specific skill or work may not need it anymore, but help grow the employee so that they can move on to their new gig that is bigger and better than the one I have.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because we're starting to, again, I'm, I'm in the midst of this activity right now, and I hate. You guys probably all the listeners know hate Rex. I hate them. I hate them. Yeah, I hate horrible. the name, I hate the formation. I hate <laughs> the foundation. I hate the theory behind them that all the whole thing is just a big pile of poo. I'm trying to look at the skills that I'm going to need and I don't mean like hard skills. I'm talking about some soft yep. mushy ass skills like so like creative problem solver, right? Mm-hmm. Super great with ambiguity can take something and run and doesn't mind being wrong like looking at all the things that I'm looking for and then I maybe this is a jerky move but when I whenever I'm talking to somebody who might want to work with us I I'm like tell me about the thing that you like doing like where is your zone of genius and what is the thing that you're doing when you're done with it you feel like you have more energy and we look at those spots where it fits together as opposed to you need five years of this. and dick, 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 dick. <laughs> right. right. So I, I the work that I do across our our lines of business here in my company Z, is basically whack-a-mole. Like there's just constant, it's it, are you good at whack-a-mole? How do you feel about whack-a-mole? You've got to be able to take those things down and find good solutions and you've got to be scrappy. So, and again, I know that's not scalable or sustainable for a large, 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 large organization. Or is it?
1: I think resilience and the ability to be a critical thinker and a problem solver are underestimated strengths. The people that I've seen in my career who've been able to successfully move around and be successful in very different situations have the ability to think on their their feet, know how to go ask questions and ask the right questions. They can manage ambiguity. Those are not hard skills. Those are soft skills. But, But
2: they're curious. Not yes, judgmental. Curious. Curious. Be curious, not judgmental. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. Other th- like flexibility, Kobe. I think that's going to be huge moving forward. But there was another one that was on top. Like you, you were you were listing all of these succinct soft skills, right? And so then, how do we educate and train people for this, right? Like it's kind of strange. And oh, one of them is um panic factor. That is another one that we we, we do. You have a high or low panic factor? I'm going to throw something
0: out as I'm listening to this. And, and as you start this conversation, I'm completely agreeing that these are the skills and capabilities that we need going into the future. But I'm going to challenge you and say, I think we do them a disservice by calling them soft skills. Fair they enough. are trainable and learnable skills, right? We devalue um the expertise you gain in problem solving, and understanding how and when to be curious and ask questions as if it is of less value than knowing how to code.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: And, and why do we do that?
1: We, we promote it. I mean, if somebody needs help, we go and provide help. You know, I'm a big fan of having guiding principles, not policy statements. Because yeah. if people are conditioned to always have a policy statement or a desktop procedure, they're going to follow the steps. Sometimes that may be perfectly okay. If we're talking about a technician on a factory floor, they do. They need to follow steps. But many other jobs require somebody who can operate successfully with some level of ambiguity. So if we can condition employees to understand the clear guiding principles, but then make decisions within that and, and, and not be crippled by inability to make a decision... That's the muscle we need to start developing. Right. And don't you think that muscle, because we can develop it, it's a learnable yes. skill, just yeah. like any other learnable skill.
0: I can learn to put things into place that allow me to function well with ambiguity, just like I can learn the skill of jump roping. <laughs> I may be better or worse at it, depending on who I am. I know I probably shouldn't be <laughs> jump roping. We all have imagine that's not going to happen. But I guess I am saying it's the same sort of thing, right? Practice. Somebody shows me, I learn how to do it. I think this is going to be a, an important concept. And I'm thinking about the work you've been doing, Kobe, in thinking about kind of helping the organization adjust the idea of what tomorrow looks like, or even today, and they haven't adjusted to it yet, right? Well, um, it's so hard like, because you nobody knows
1: do that. Yeah. Right. right. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. There's no crystal ball that allows us to see into the future that says, okay, at this moment in time, we're going to go back into the office. This is what the office is going to look like. This is how people are g- going to respond. We don't know. So we're asking people to first be patient, understand that it's going to be messy and we don't like messiness, but understand it's going to be messy. and be comfortable with a certain level of ambiguity and that's where I go back to you know guiding principles we'll, we'll be transparent with what we know and we we set up guiding principles and and you know these are the kinds of decisions that you can make within th- these parameters but people who are looking for a specific date for when we're going to be back in the office and what that's going to look like they're disappointed it, we just don't have that how do you teach people to roll
2: with it Right. Like, so that's one of the things like, that's one of the, we we're big believers in just roll with it. Like, this is not what we were expecting today. You're just going to roll with it. And how do you, yeah, it is like, that is not, again, I don't, Alin, the call out of the wording of soft skills was mind blowing Mm -hmm. for me today. So thank you for that. We are not calling it that anymore. But those, that skill, like for example, like the ability to be resilient and roll with it how do you teach people to roll with it? Because people like their structure. People like no- knowing what to expect. And I think that's one of the hard things. So how are we setting that up? And I think this is a problem that we're going to have to see solved in the long term. But you're right, Kobe, people like to know what's next.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I have any great answers, but I can give you a couple of examples of things that we're trying to do, and I think are making a difference, at least over time. So so one of one example is, Every other week, I hold a, an open forum with all of the people managers in the organization. I do this with a few other partners and we cover what do they need to know on that week. We kind of separate it into three functional areas. One is just HR updates, benefit updates, that sort of thing. And then I come in, I talk about future of the workplace and what that looks like and you know, talking about hybrid and remote work and those kinds of things. And then we we have a section that's about basically business continuity and how do we manage this COVID environment we're in now? And one thing that we do, and I know this rubs some managers the wrong way because they think, you've told us this already, but repetition, keep reminding them. They get focused on what they don't know. But if you keep reminding them what they do know and reinforcing that and trying to, to build up confidence to what they do know, so that they start to not get wrapped around the axle about what they don't know. The other thing is, um, in my team, one of the things that we focus on is manager capability. And I was asked to to come in and give an update to a forum of managers on Future work. And I really had to stop and think about, well, what, what kind of update do I want to give them? Because I mentioned I already have this every other week mm-hmm. forum. So in terms of policy and that sort of thing, they already have information for me. What I ended up doing was coming in and talking about what does good management look like in a distributed workforce? And I never used the words workplace of choice. But what I talked about was, look, we've already done this. We, you know, we, We're a global company, but Lynn knows this well. My, the last team that I had in our old group were not only comprised of people who didn't sit at the same site with me, but none of them sat in the United States. For three years, I ran this team of people who were dispersed across different countries it's really no different than this COVID and post-COVID environment that we're envisioning and helping managers come back to understand there are some basics around good management that really aren't changing. So I don't think, know if those are good answers, but those are the things that I've yeah. got. Yeah, I think those are perfect. I think that's exactly what I'm talking
0: about when saying, what are the helping people see that there are learnable skills or things they can latch onto? And I think this idea that you kind of kept going back to that, People want to have certainty of knowing what's coming next and etc. I actually think one of the learnable skills helping people understand how to manage ambiguity is helping them understand that they have to find a way to meditate their way through this because at the end of the day, the future of work is going to be constantly not knowing what tomorrow is going to be. It is actually a reflection of going backwards and this idea that I'm suddenly, what is tell me what I should be preparing for. And now we're switching everybody on the dime and saying, no, what I need you to do is to learn to be observant and you tell me what you need to know to be successful tomorrow. And that switches everybody's paradigm. So the idea that you're going in and thinking about this from a manager capability space is really cool because now you're starting to say, okay, what are the things that I can do to get these people to start to have the skills to live in the world they're going to live in rather than focus in on trying to figure out what tomorrow's going to be. I mean, we're like all just
2: going to have to let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're all just going to have go. to let it go, man. Let it go. Yeah. I'll give another also Let it go. go. So, yeah. just okay, it's oh, yeah. something
1: that uh, people have really you had a lot of angst around. I think we're making some progress, but it's this whole concept of hybrid work, and we have both <laughs> managers and employees who are saying, "Well, what's the schedule? Do we come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Is it Tuesday, Thursday? You, you tell me." It's it's <laughs> tension because the answer is, "Well, I don't know. You tell me. What's your preference?" The philosophy that we're really trying to lean into is when the work allows, which is the vast majority of our workforce, we want employees to choose whatever schedule allows them to be most productive. For some people, that might be regularly coming into the, the office. For others, it might be coming into the office only you know, once or twice a year for some specific event. But we're not going to mandate a schedule for sake of schedule. I can't tell you how hard a concept this is. And it's because we've conditioned both managers and employees to operate by these prescripted guidelines. And employees don't want that. I mean, the last thing an employee wants is a manager to say, well, we're going to come in as a team on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They don't want that, but that's what they've been conditioned to accept. So they ask for it. But when you're really okay. probe, they don't want it. <laughs> exactly. Okay.
2: That's some good cultural anthropology right there, right? Like Fascinating. It, we, and we do, people do love a plan. Like they do know yes. what to tell me what to expect. Oh, and, I love a plan. And can you, yeah. Can you get, I like to control the plan, which is why I work for myself. And, <laughs> and <laughs> But it is, it, you're right, Kobe, because this is, and it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like the employees are agreeing to this or they want this, even though they don't want it because they
1: expect it. Do the managers want it? We hear the same sort of feedback from managers. And interesting, I mean, this is purely anecdotal, but my anecdotal observation is that I think managers are having a harder time with the concept of allowing employees to choose their preference because, I mean, this is, there is a fundamental shift happening. Actually, I think it's already happened. And it's that, the change in the psychological contract between employer and employee, where employees have choices. Technology allows choices that didn't exist before. And so it's no longer from an employee's perspective about being told how to get the work done what they want to understand is what are the deliverables and I'll choose how I meet those deliverables. Managers haven't made the shift yet. So they are still all about, here's how the work needs to get done. I love where you're going with this. And this is exactly, I I
0: think this is exactly the issue. And it comes across at a very discreet level when I'm dealing with hiring managers who are trying to tell me um, how they're going to prorate people's Pay because they're going to work four days versus five. And I'm like, well, we don't pay people for time. We pay them for what it's, they do. Uh, but it goes back to this fundamental issue. Think about how companies and businesses and managers are taught to manage. They're taught to manage to create productivity within their teams. How do you measure productivity? How much people can get done in a period of time rather than the re- how impactful are the results that are out there? And so what they're doing is is it's really challenging. If if you can do your work anywhere, anytime, and it's about this thing you produce over there, what's my value as a manager? How can I go back to my chain and say, I created this much extra value because I was able to squeeze X amount of extra work out of somebody because I realized that they were so smart that what took them, everybody else, eight hours only took them five, so I was able to load them up with three hours more of work. right? Instead of saying, I have this really great team who I said, these are the things we needed to get done, and they figured out how to get it done, and we challenged them, and they said, now I have additional impact I'm able to create. But we're still measuring everything from a productivity perspective on how long does it take and how efficient are we
2: instead of how impactful things are. Completely agree. Yes, there's nothing, there's not a bigger word that I can say yes. Like this, (laughs) this is one of the things that when, when everybody gets all fired up and talking about the future of work, this is the thing I want to see change. Like the thing I want to see change is the thing that is a rule in my house. You can tell me what to do, but you can't tell me how to do it. So if you need me to unload the dishwasher and you don't like the way I unloaded the dishwasher, unload it your damn self. Right. So, and the same goes for work, right? I, and, and Alin knows this. Kobe, you and I have worked together. The people that work with me know it is shocking the speed in which I can do some tasks, right? People are like, what the hell? And I don't care how long it took me. I care about the end result. So did this thing that I did move the meter? That's right. If it took me five minutes, if I could move the meter in five minutes, I'm going to move the meter in five minutes. Could I move it more in 10? No, I couldn't, but then there's a, there's a chance that that's, that's the optimal meter movement. It makes me bananas that everybody's like, okay, so this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. And it should take you this long. But if it doesn't take you that long, but you do it faster.
0: I think this is part of what's happening is as people get into selling themselves versus selling their work into a particular business, this kind of gig worker consulting framework, right? Here's the difference. If I want to pay a consultant X amount of dollars per hour, I'm basically saying who's better then? Somebody who does it faster or does it better? And by the way, Tracy, who's really good at doing some things incredibly fast, but they're incredibly well and, and impactful, has the ability to make more money because she can take on more jobs. Right? That's on her. Right? Sure. Good um, for her. But go, go for it, right? <laughs> I may choose to be more than happy to have somebody take longer to do it, but I like the quality of what they're doing differently. Do I want to pay them more? for the, for a product, because they took longer to do it than Tracy took to do it, but it's the same product.
1: You're rewarding the wrong behavior.
0: It. That would be like going into a supermarket and saying, okay, I have this version of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and this version of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. In this factory, their productivity was much higher. And so I'm going to pay less for that Cinnamon Toast Crunch than this one, because it tastes the same, but they took longer to make it. And darn it, I should reward them for that. Good analogy.
2: (laughs) It is a great analogy. (laughs) Well, and that's, again, this is the thing that I hope we can change because I just dove into the Q3 data for the voice of the candidate. I haven't seen anything bubble up about managers yet, but I'm going to be honest and I love you managers. You know, I do. I really think that you and your mental approach and how you've been trained and conditioned is the problem. You, You guys might be the barrier here. I, I love you. I think it's you're not all very intent. Intent. It it just is, it, is what it is. <laughs> Look, all of it is unintended consequences. Yeah. Like nobody go, nobody goes to be a manager to mess up. Like that. Nobody wants to do that. That's why, as Kevin Hart says, they call it a fuck up. Right? You don't call yeah. <laughs> it fuck up because you meant to. And again, I think it's an unintended consequence. But you guys have raised some really good things. We've conditioned managers to reward the wrong things. We've conditioned managers. To care about the wrong things or to pay attention to the wrong things or try to control the wrong things. When that's how people are conditioned, that's what they're going to do. So, you know, when we're planning for that future of work, we really have to pay attention to that manager level and how we recondition them to be career facilitators and not productivity drivers and sum holders, but be value Sherpas. Like these are the people who are going to guide careers and deliver maximum value to the organization. And if they aren't, you should not have managers. Yeah. I love that value Sherpas. I like that too. I feel like you need to like, yeah copyright that. I've got a long story about that. You guys will have to hit me up at HR tech and ask me about the Sherpa saga. I will avoid that like the (laughs) blig. Fair enough.
0: I think that's amazing. And I think that you're exactly right. I'm, You know, in the media, when you started to give that analogy, I started to think about, you know, we've built an entire group of managers, trained them, taught them how, and built the entire model of the exact same management model that the Egyptians used to build the pyramids.
1: Trust you on that. I didn't know that, but I trust you. No, I just thought it up. I just like seeing it they're going into okay. the same model. You, right? you sold well, it me, I, I will you know we
0: don't look this
2: shit up <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's so funny. she's like that sounds so official no no I just made that shit up well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> with it though I like it it, right? it resonates like it checks right. out like a
1: like here's a bunch of workers and I'm gonna whip them until they work faster well and again there are places where that's really important if you're piloting an aircraft you need to follow the desktop procedure to the letter. That's not yeah. necessarily where you want a lot of critical thinking, but there are other jobs that require a broader skill set.
0: Yes. Well All the pilots well right now are going, no critical thinking. No, but yeah, you're right. I want you to be very specific. Please be very
1: specific when you're flying. Very, very yeah, specific. Don't, don't go off script. That's Thank right. You. That's right.
0: But the truth is, if your job is mopping up at the 7-Eleven or whatever you're doing there, I really don't care how you mop. I mean, as long as it comes out well. Well, again, right? it's about the results. It's not how you did it. That's right. And it gets done when we needed to get done to meet our, you know, so that no customers slip on the floor. I mean, it, what value and impact is, is very different, these mm-hmm. spaces. This is cool. I think, I love this conversation. I'm mean, Thank you, Kobe, for coming in and, and Thanks talking. Thanks for having to me. I, I think you opened up a new space for, for these conversations to go, which is really looking at how do we, we always look at things through the lens of, How does the talent or the people who are in the role feel about things? But I think this is really kind of opening up for us to have a conversation that says, how are we setting up a system that allows people to be in this new successful space that we're looking for and help build people into it?
1: Yeah. How do we condition employees to feel like they are safe and able to perform work in a way that meets the stated objective, but do it their way? And how do we get managers comfortable with that? Yeah, there you go.
0: All There's of your that. next book right there, Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> Stories from the front line.
1: Like, uh, you have a million from, from the exactly. what? From the the manager Sherpa? Was that what you were saying? Tracy?
2: <laughs> Value Sherpa. Yeah, Value Sherpa. That was Value Sherpa, Sherpa. Yeah. There's the name of the book. Oh my god! It's be careful. There. I'm just saying. Be careful.
0: We it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kobe. So, Kobe. If people want to reach out to you or if they want to see more of what you're talking about in this space or are interested in going forward with the conversation, how can they reach you? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Kobe Schneider. Excellent. And of course, you can reach out to me at Alyn Bailey or Tracy at T Parsons on the Twitter. You can also reach us and listen to all of our past uh, broadcasts. We have some great conversations that are out there at the Talent Rebel alliance.com. And also for those of you who are, who are interested, um, we are part of the evergreen um, HR podcast network and you can listen in um, there as well. And we hope to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the conversation, everybody. This was fun. I appreciate your time. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks. Bye, Bye. Thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoyed yourself. The talent rebel cast is part of the talent rebel Alliance. It's a movement connecting strong, independent, bossy, and, well, sometimes feisty women in the talent industry. Together, we're on a mission to grow our ideas, our presence, our value, and our impact. Smart women connecting with smart women to support each other. It's as simple as that. We believe big things happen from simple ideas. If you want to join the Talent Rebel Alliance, come on over and check out our website at talentrebelalliance.com. We hope to hear from you soon.